It's my great joy to um, be able to open up God's Word. So if you've got a Bible, then please turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And many of you, uh, most of you will know that our normal pattern is to take a book of the Bible, to work our way through it, to look at the next bit, to really try and understand what the Bible text says. Just for four weeks, we've taken a break from doing that, and we've been looking at more of a theme. And we've been thinking of this theme of how we love one another. Um, and this is the last in, those, uh, in that series. Um, and we're going to think about the theme of leadership. So I'm not going to explain everything that's in Psalm 23, but what we're going to do is have this psalm as a sort of backdrop to everything that we're going to say about leadership. So let me read these beautiful, beautiful words. And but why not enjoy these words as I read them? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why don't we pray? Let's ask God to help us this afternoon. Father, we ask this afternoon that you would please help, help us to know you as our shepherd. Help us to know you as the one who is with us. Lord, please, by your grace, would you speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I might need to sort my microphone out. Here comes another one. about um, leadership. So that's our, that's our big theme, leadership. I wonder what comes into your head. What are the first words that come into your head when you think of a leader? Or who is the first person that comes into your head when you think of a leader? I googled this and I was checking out um, what makes a good leader. I thought, <laughs> you know, obviously Google's the place to find that out. And so I asked Google um, what makes a good leader. And it was hilarious because all these... Um, these lists of things come up, like five traits, 20 traits of a great leader. So I started with the five traits. Here are the, the five traits that make a great leader. Clarity, decisiveness, courage, passion, humility. And they're the sort of things you go, yeah, they sound like leader, leader-y type words. And I pushed on then to see the kind of 10, and t- I won't re- read you all of them, but you, you'll know what sort of words were there. Things like self-confidence, motivation, ambition, drive, communication, teamwork, integrity, intelligence. This is what makes a great leader. These are the sorts of people that we want in leadership. We want leaders who are competent. We want leaders who are gifted. We want leaders who get things done. 
But there was one word I did not find on any of those lists. One word which, even when you went to the 20 traits of a leader, it wasn't there. And it was the word love. Nowhere did I find leadership connected to love. Yeah, it's connected to integrity and honesty and humility and teamwork and all of those sorts of things. But it really struck me that we have disconnected leadership and love from one another. And as we look at our culture, look, I would never claim to be a leadership guru, right? Let's just get that out there. I'm not a business leadership guru. I'm not a management guru. But I do know this one thing. We're not supposed to learn about leadership by looking at our culture. We're not supposed to look at our world and try and emulate the great leaders that we see around us, or even the bad leaders that we see around us. We're not supposed to learn leadership from our world. It's tempting to value the things our world values. It's tempting to look at Alex Ferguson, or Nelson Mandela, or Michelle Obama, or Kamala Harris, or whoever it is, and we say, look, there's someone who seems to be good at leadership. Let's learn. What did you do, Sir Alex, to get Man United to be such a great team? What can we learn from you? Now, actually, that's not where we're to go. Instead, we're to lift our gaze away from the world and to the God who made us and to ask this simple question, what do we learn about leadership when we look at God and what he is like? And in particular, how does this idea of covenant love that we've been banging on about for the last few weeks, how does covenant love shape our understanding of what leadership looks like? Remember, as God has loved us, so we must love one another. God is our model. He is the one that we're to look to to learn how we love one another. And I very deliberately this afternoon want to frame leadership in this connection with love and covenant love. Because it seems to me when you break that relationship, that connection between leadership and love, that's when things go wrong. And you end up with leadership that becomes harmful and destructive and toxic. So this afternoon, my huge plea is that we would learn what leadership looks like in the light of God's covenant love for us. Now let me just say, I am going to, we are going to touch on some subjects this afternoon that I realize might be difficult and might be painful for some people here. I do want to tread very clearly it might carefully. It might be that some of the things that I say that you will recognize and think, I've experienced that sort of stuff. Wrong use of power, wrong use of leadership. It's, now, this is not a sermon primarily about the abuse of power. That's not my, my main aim this afternoon, but we will touch on some stuff. And if that is, if, if you want to think more about that, if you want to read some more about that, then I would highly recommend this book. 
by Diane Lambeau, um, Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church. This is a very, very good book on this subject of abusive leadership within the church. And if it's something that you want to talk more about, please do reach out to someone. Please do speak um, so that we can work some of these things true. Because the reality is that leadership tragically and horrifically does go wrong. And we've seen that. Some of you will be aware of a man called Ravi Zacharias. And it's been horrendous to listen to some of the ways that he abused his position in order to take advantage of people who were less powerful. That is evil and it's wrong and we should call that out. And we should care about those victims. And perhaps a little bit closer to home, even this week, there's been a report which some of you will be aware of. Some of you will never have heard of Jonathan Fletcher. Some of you will have heard of him. But this week, a report has come out which has exposed, again, the way he has abused his power and his leadership. You see, the tragic reality is that leadership goes wrong in the church. And it goes wrong when we disconnect love and leadership. And that is why this subject... It's weighed heavily on me this week as I've thought about this and prayed about this. So here's our question. What does covenant love teach us about the nature of true, healthy, gospel-shaped leadership? And this is going to be important to all of us because all of us need leaders, right? So it matters the people that you entrust yourself to. It matters the leaders that you look to. It really matters. And not only do all of us need leaders, many of us will also have the opportunity to lead others. Perhaps in families, perhaps in focus groups, perhaps in friendship groups. There will be many of us who have opportunities to exercise opportunities of leadership. So it matters for us that we understand what healthy, covenant-love-shaped leadership really looks like. And I want you to picture, and we're going to use this image all the way through, so I want you to picture this idea, I want you to picture a wall. I don't know when the last time was you walked along a wall, a narrow wall. I don't know if you still find it tempting when you see a little wall whether you've grown out of the phase of wanting to jump on the wall and walk along it. Some of you probably still do that, and God bless you. Um, I want to imagine a wall, and we're walking along this wall, and walking on top of the wall, that is covenant, healthy, loving leadership. But the problem is there are ways that you can fall off that wall, and understanding where you fall can help you to understand what it means to stay on the wall. So even in the way we think about leadership, let me, let me just show this to you. Um, you can fall off the wall by treating leaders as celebrities. You can fall off the wall by idolizing human leaders and by putting them on a pedestal and by saying, this is, oh, this guy's amazing. I love this guy's fantastic. Or this person's teaching or this person's writing. I just love it. And we can idolize it, and we can give people a huge platform and a huge authority. That's falling off the wall. 
As soon as leaders become celebrities, you are in dangerous ground. One of the things in the report that was released this week, let me quote from the report. One of its key findings was, placing leaders on pedestals and enabling them to develop celebrity status is unhealthy and can lead to unsafe practice. The status of leaders can be enhanced when they lead across a constituency. That is, when someone becomes so elevated and so renowned, that's dangerous. And particularly when that person becomes increasingly disconnected from their local church. You see, if you're leading across a wide spectrum, people haven't got a clue what your life is really like. If you're speaking at a conference in front of 2,000 people, those people don't know who you are. They don't know anything about you. And as the, the connection between the leader and the person listening grows, so the danger of unhealthy patterns grow. We need to smash our pedestals. And we need to be willing to... See what's going on. So you can fall off the wall that side, but you can also fall off the wall the other side, which is to say, oh, you're right, actually. All leadership's corrupt. This is just what happens. If you give anyone a bit of power, look what they do. Make someone pencil monitor in primary school, they just take over, right? Give everyone the blunt pencils, keep the best ones for themselves. It's innate in all of us. You can't trust anyone with power. And you've fallen off the other side because, you know, the Bible says no leadership is good. There is a good leadership that each of us needs. It's tempting to say, I don't need anyone to lead me. I can do this on my own. I can sort myself out. I'll just lead myself. No, no, the Bible says, no, we do need leaders. And in fact, most supremely, we need the perfect leader. That is Jesus. That's why we started with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. That is, he is the one who leads me. I don't know if you noticed in, in Revelation 7 that Alice read at the start of our service. There's this picture of the future when we'll be in this place where there'll be no more crying, no more death, no more tears, no more suffering. And did you know what it says? He will lead us to springs of water. Get this, for all eternity you will need leading. You see, Jesus came into the world to save us, absolutely. And he came to die on a cross because we were lost and we were helpless. And Jesus came into this world and he died the death that we deserve. And he rescued us and he saved us and he brought us back to God. But if that's all he did, it's not enough. You need more than just a saviour. You need someone who will save you and then who will lead you. You see, Jesus died on a cross to save you, but three days later, he rose again to lead you. That is why the death and resurrection of Jesus are so important. If Jesus stayed dead, then you have no shepherds, you have no leader. But next Sunday, we're going to celebrate that he's alive, right? He's alive. He's the leader. And so we need leading because without Jesus, we will go wrong. Without Jesus, we will go our own way. We will get things wrong. We will 
turn back. You know in those um, films, I don't know if you've ever watched those films where the aliens arrive on the planet Earth. You know the first thing they always say, right? The first thing the alien says is, take me to your leader. Can I say, that is how you should treat every human leader in the church. Let me explain what I mean. You should come to a human leader, like your focus, say your focus group. Imagine you're sitting in your focus group, and you say to your focus leader, take me to your leader. That is what covenant-shaped, gospel, Jesus-full leadership looks like. Not a celebrity. Oh, wow, you know, you're so amazing. Have you heard this guy? So amazing. We don't want amazing pastors. We want people who take us to Jesus. You should go to every preacher you ever listen to and say, take me to your leader. I don't care about you. I just want to get to Jesus. Would you be a leader who leads me to the leader? Would you be someone who takes me to Jesus? Would you be a shepherd who leads me to the shepherd? That's what we need. And as soon as leaders think that they're getting people to follow them, that's when it goes wrong. Don't follow me. Follow him. And my job is to take you to my leader. As a father, that's my job, to lead my kids to my leader. That's what we're about. Because it's Jesus who is the great shepherd. And so leadership is a great and a beautiful thing when it all drives us to Jesus. Okay, what we're going to do is um, we're now going to take our four words. Um, You know these by now, I hope, if you've been around. Um, Proactive, compassionate, um, righteous, and constant. And we're going to say, okay, what, what are they? How do they flow out? This is the last time we're doing this. Okay, if you're bored of those words, um, this is the last time. So bear with me. Um, and we're going to say, how can you fall off the wall one way or the other in each of those four areas? All right? Let's talk about being proactive. To be a healthy, covenant love-shaped leader, you are going to be proactive in your leadership, in leading people to the leader. That is, you are going to do stuff. You're going to be invested and you're going to be engaged in what you're doing. You can fall off one way or the other. You either fall off into being a lazy leader, who doesn't really do anything, not very proactive, or you fall off the wall the other side and you become an empire builder. That is, you become someone who just wants to get everybody doing what you want. You've got your great plan and your great projects and your great ambition, and you say, I'm going to recruit everybody to my plan. Both of those are a mistake. If you fall off the wall, either side, you're in trouble. And yet there are many, um, There are many leaders today who want people simply to follow them so that they can make a name for themselves. So they can build an empire for themselves. So that other people will be impressed by them. So that they get glory. But we're not not called to get people to follow us 
and to build my church. Listen to what God is like. Listen to the shepherd, the true shepherd. Let me take you to my leader. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Do you notice it doesn't say, the Lord is my shepherd. He gets me to do whatever he wants me to do. I have to build these stupid things that he wants me to build, and I have to carry out these plans he wants me to carry out. No, the good shepherd leads the sheep to where they need to be, to the place of restoration, to the place where they are fed, to the place where they are cared for. Covenant love is not about getting what I want. It's about serving. Covenant love is about taking the sheep to the place where they are restored, not the place where they're crushed. It's taking the sheep to the place where they are filled, not where they're starved. Proactively leading the sheep to the place where they can be strengthened. And so as we think about leadership, we should be thinking, let's be careful of a laziness that says, well, I just want an easy life. I just want a comfortable, easy life. Or let's be careful of a leadership that is constantly driving and beating people up and saying, no, you've got to do more because we've got to do this. We've got this plan. We've got this. Look out for leaders who say, come with me. Let's go and be restored by Jesus together. Let's go and eat and drink and find rest in Jesus. That's proactively caring for the sheep. Okay, what about um, compassionate? Because these will build a little bit. Covenant love-shaped leadership will be a compassionate leadership. If you're walking on the wall, then you will be a compassionate leader of others. Now, of course, you can fall off the wall, right? You can fall off the wall one side and be careless. I don't care. And you've lost your compassion. You just walk through life and you don't really care about anyone. Or you can fall off the wall the other side and you become a harsh bully. And the reality is that we've probably experienced people who have fallen off the wall one of those two ways. They just don't seem to care. They're not bothered. There's no compassion perhaps even a little bit irritated by you being an inconvenience. Oh, what do you mean you're still struggling? We talked about this last week. Why have we got to go with this again? No, there's compassion in this covenant-shaped leadership. Or what about becoming a harsh bully? Again, you see, if you think that leadership is about building your empire and making a name for yourself, then the people in your church become assets who need to fulfill their function so that your great dream can be realized. And so if you challenge my authority, no, that's not on. You see, because you're challenging me and you're challenging my plan and my dream and my ambition. And you come along saying, you've got another idea. I don't, I don't want to know. We're going this way. And it's very easy for church leaders to become bullies. 
It's very easy for church leaders to abuse their position, to basically drive through their plans. Say, if you don't like my plan, get off the bus. I'm like, hang on a second. What shepherd tells one of their sheep to get off the bus? I think the point of shepherding is saying, are you struggling? Let me help you stay on the bus. Do you know what? I'll slow the bus down. In fact, I'll even press that button that makes the bus go so that it's easier for you to step on. You see, any leader that says, no, come on, we're going, and you're slowing me down, that's not how the leader leads. That's not how the shepherd leads. He refreshes my soul. He's happy to wait in the pasture because the sheep are tired. But don't get me wrong. The leader does want to move things along. The leader does have responsibility to help people to to move and to see more of Jesus. We're not just supposed to sit around and go, oh, never mind, we're all struggling. Let's just sit around and have a nice time. There's things to be done, but you take people with you. Any leader that says, I don't mind losing a few people along the way, I'm like, what do you mean you don't mind losing people? It should grieve us. Jesus never bullied anyone. He never abused anyone. He never put someone down. He never mocked them. You know, there's really subtle ways of doing this. And I, just, I say this because I want us to be aware of it. Like in our Bible studies, it's really easy to sort of put people down when they make a mistake. Let's not do that. Good shepherds don't look at the, the sheep that's struggling and go, you're such a rubbish sheep. Look at you, you're fluffy, fluffy. You know, and it's got a... That's not what... We, I don't know what that was. <laughs> That's not how we treat one another. Godly leadership doesn't have that kind of antagonistic edge to it. Do you know, I've heard phrases over the years, and I've been around in church a lot longer than most of you. I've heard phrases over the years, things like muscular Christianity. I mean, what the heck is that? What stupid thing that is? As if there's some kind of, you know, it's about being macho. That's not what we're being called to. We've been called to be compassionate. And one of the marks of any leader that you, tr- that you should trust only leaders who are compassionate. Because if they're not compassionate, they're not like Jesus. And if they're not like Jesus, they won't be able to lead you to Jesus. Compassion is one of the key marks of what it means to be a leader. Someone who says, I understand. That's okay. What about um, righteous? Covenant love-shaped leadership is righteous. It does what is right. Again, you can fall off the wall. You can either fall off the wall into kind of a go with a flow, a sort of, oh, well, it doesn't matter, let's just see what happens. Or you can fall off the wall into being an arch-pragmatist. 
That's not a very good phrase. That's not a very good heading. It's the best I could do. I'm sorry. An arch pragmatist says this. Look, it's working. The church is growing. The giving's going up. I know a few people have got hurt along the way. But look, it's growing. Here's the deal, right? Success never justifies sin. Ungodly methods are never gospel methods. That is, we need to be people and we need to have leaders and we need to raise leaders and I beg of you that you would aspire to be leaders who do what is right. I think one of the saddest things is when you hear someone saying of a leader... Oh, well, that's just, you know, that's just whoever, Fred being Fred. He's just like that. If that's being used to justify sin, that's not okay. Oh, he does get a bit angry, but he's a great preacher. No. Righteousness matters. Do you know what? Um... The, the Bible is extremely clear on this. Leaders are to be righteous. In fact, and the, the, leaders will be held to a higher account. In the book of James, it says, not many of you should presume to be teachers because teachers will be judged more strictly. I believe that I will be judged more strictly by Jesus than you will because of the position that he's given me. That terrifies me. And yet, that is because leaders are so critically important and can do so much devastating harm. There needs to be a ruthlessness with sin in leaders. Sin cannot be tolerated. It cannot be excused. It cannot, we cannot just shrug our shoulders and say it doesn't matter. It really does. You see, when you read Psalm 23, you read of God who says, I will, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Jesus is the shepherd who always does what is right and always guides in righteousness. We need leaders who do right. It's not okay. So I want to encourage you to be ruthless with your sin. Because if God is going to raise you up to a place of being a leader, and I pray, God, that many of you will be raised up to be leaders. It starts now with the seriousness about our sin. Not shrugging our shoulders and, and saying, oh, it doesn't really matter. Not just going with the flow and saying, oh, well, here we go. But saying, no, this is what is right. We've got to go this way, church. We've got to love this thing because this is what is true and this is what is right. This sort of leader, a leader who's passionate about righteousness, is a leader who will speak up on things, 
who will speak on behalf of those who are suffering, who won't just keep his mouth shut because it might harm the church. You know, people might leave if I said that. Giving might go down if I spoke about that subject. That's the pragmatist, or that's the go with the flow, let's not cause a stir. But the righteous leader says, no, this is right. And I want to do what's right. Righteousness. And then our fourth word, constant. On the wall, covenant, love-shaped leadership is a constant thing. Unchanging. You can fall off the wall into being unreliable and all over the place, or you can fall off the wall into being moody. This is, tends to be what happens, right? When someone doesn't get their own way, when a leader doesn't get their own way, watch how they react. When things go wrong, watch how they react. So when you've been stogging away in the church and then another church is planted just down the road and that trebles in size in the first 10 minutes and you're stuck here with your church, what, you can tell a lot about a leader in that moment. When they become self-pitying and moody and grumpy because they feel like it's, it's my thing and I, my reputation is being harmed. There is a beautiful constancy in a leader who says, no, I love and I will continue to love and I will do the right thing. And praise God, there's a church down the road which is bursting in size. That's terrific. A constancy. Not a fickleness. Not a leader who's there for the easy days. I love what God's reading in Psalm 23 when it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you're with me. You see, we have a shepherd, we have a good shepherd, the good shepherd, who is so constant that even in the darkest place, even in the deepest suffering, here is the leader who walks alongside us. And he calls us to be leaders like that. To be those who will walk alongside even in the hardest places, even in the presence of enemies. See, that's how God loves us. That's how Jesus leads us. He leads us like that. He leads us with this beautiful covenant love. So here's my question. Who wants to sign up for leadership? Imagine we have a little sheet at the front here and say, I'm going to now take names of anyone who'd like to be a leader. It's daunting, isn't it? And at that point, you may say, well, who on earth is equal to this task? And the answer is only Jesus. This is why I must never ask you to follow me. This is why you must not trust me. You must trust him. And why I am only any use to you in as much as I take you to Jesus and say, trust him, love him, he will never let you down. That's what we need. And to be honest, if there was no good shepherd, I would give up my job right now. What a terrifying thought. 
but here's the one who uses even inadequate people like me. If you've been around me for any length of time, you know that I fail. You know that I get things wrong. I let people down. I say I'll do something and I don't. And we need to be honest so that we don't put our hope in men and women. I remember I used to um, work with a guy up in Enfield. He was my assistant, a guy called Stewie. Great guy. And um, he said to me once, because I, I had spoken at this, spoken this conference, and like, it's spoken that there's a load of people there, and then someone, they found out that Stewie was working with me, and they said to Stewie, um, wow, it must be amazing to be working with John T. <laughs> Stewie said, I just didn't understand it. I told them it was a nightmare. <laughs> And she thought, that's right. right that's, that's, that's right. Because the problem is, it's fun, right? Speaking at big conferences is fun. Because no one knows you. You can say what you want, and they're all impressed. And they will go, oh, well done. That's really, really good. It's not real. Now, there is a place for doing that, okay? We, we want people who can teach the Bible. That, absolutely. But don't, the trouble is, that's, I, I, I want to be honest with you, it's so alluring. Because it's so easy. And it's so satisfying because you get treated nicely and people are kind to you. And, they, and it, it's like, oh, you get a big platform and no one. That's not real. This is real. You are real. It's in the local church. This is where I want to be. And I don't care if I'm never asked to speak at another conference again, if I can lead you guys to Jesus. That's all I want to do. And I want to raise up more and more leaders because I think the greatest protection against abusive leadership is to raise up more leaders and to devolve more leadership to others. So I think the more we can raise up leaders and the more we, people we've got who understand what it means to be leaders, you'll be able to say to me, no, that's not right, John, we shouldn't be doing it like that. And I'll go, you know what, you're right. And as we raise up more leaders, it will be my greatest joy to stand back one day and hand this thing on and say, you go for it. God has equipped you and gifted you. You take this forward and you go and do with it what I could never do. That's what we long for. We need to finish. I, I, I just wanted to set this stuff out and I want you to be praying. When you come to leave Globe Church, I want you to look for leaders like this. I want you to be praying that God would help us at Globe Church to have leaders like this, for our focus leaders, for the elders at the church here. And maybe even praying that God would raise you up to lead others. What a terrific thing that would be. And if some of the things I've said this afternoon have raised questions and issues and perhaps even painful things, then please do mention that to someone so that we can talk and work some of those things through. But why don't we pray? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, even as we think about leadership, I praise you for Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died on a cross to save us and you rose again to lead us. Thank you for for all eternity you will be our shepherd. For all eternity you will lead us in righteousness. Lord, we want to be led by you. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us not to put our hope in human leaders, but that we would seek out human leaders who take us to the leader. And Father, we pray that you would fill our church with leaders who would lead with this covenant-shaped love, who would be proactive and compassionate and righteous and constant, not seeking to build a name for themselves, but seeking just to love others and bring them to Jesus. Lord, please keep us from being harsh and having a culture of bullying. Please keep us from being um, lazy and careless. Lord, please would we be a church that is led well. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.